Hello and welcome to another podcast episode, this time all about the transition from going to school to going to work. You know when you leave school? Uh, I don't know about these days, but back in the 60s when I left school, well I was lucky. I had an accident. Uh, You might think, well that's not lucky. I ruptured my liver when I was 14. I fell off my bike and ruptured my liver. Where's the luck in that, you're thinking? I shall tell you. I went to hospital for a couple of weeks. They sewed up my liver, did whatever they had to do. Then I convalesced for quite some time. Uh, My birthday went by and it was the summertime. No, it was late summer, I think. Late summer. I was actually 15, just. And I didn't have to go back to school. Now, school leaving age was 16. That was the minimum, 16. But I got out of it. So, ha, that is the blessing in disguise. Painful, but it was worth it because I got out of school at 14. Now, in those days, I mean, people didn't go to university. Well, some did, but not like they do these days. They go to university for hairdressing, for nursing. I'm coming to a nursing one in a little while. Learn how to do embroidery and knitting. Oh, you get a university degree in knitting. No, I'm only joking, but it does seem that way. Psychology. The amount of people that I've met I've got a degree, they say. Oh, yeah, what's that? Psychology. I don't know what it is about psychology. It must be easy. Because the amount of people over the years that have told me they have a degree in psychology. So I went along to the Labour Exchange. That's what it was called. Nowadays, it's the Job Centre. I went to the Labour Exchange. And there was this, it was a dingy little sort of one room woman at a desk. And she looked up and I said, I want a job. I'm looking for a job. She said, OK, sit down. What sort of thing are you interested in? And I told her, electronics, radio and TV engineer, that sort of thing. I'd always been interested in electronics. And a friend of the family was a TV engineer. And whenever he came to our house to repair our telly, he'd tell me about it. You know, he'd take the back off and he'd show me the bits. This does this and this does that. And I used to say to him, I want to be a TV engineer one day. And he was encouraging. He said, well, you can be. If that's what you want, go for it. And of course, this woman, I told her, electronics, radio and TV, she flicked through this sort of card system she had way before computers. Looked through this box of cards. No, nothing on that, she said. And I thought, oh, that's really disappointing. I was so looking forward to it. Then she said, oh, hang on, watch this. My eyes lit up. How about a labourer on a building site? What? I couldn't believe what she said. I said, no, radio and TV, electronics. No, no, no. How about this old labour on a building site? I said, no, no, thanks, and walked out. I thought, well, that was a great deal of help. What a waste of time. So what I did, in my hometown, there was a huge radio and TV uh, shop and workshop. They did servicing and all sorts there. Family-run business, but a very large business. Only the one branch. But uh, they had huge workshops and all sorts. So I went in there and I got an interview with a service manager. Now, (laughs) I went along uh, because they said I'll turn up at so-and-so day and time. So made an appointment, met the service manager up in the workshop. And I can't remember exactly what he said, but you're obviously interested in electronics. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And I'm 15 years old. I'm saying, yes. And he said, OK, do you want to start on Monday? What? I couldn't believe it. What? Yeah, Monday. Be here at 8.30. Oh, uh, 
right, oh, I couldn't believe it, I was over the moon. On the Monday, I turned up at half past eight with my toolbox. Oh dear, that was an embarrassment. I had a few tools. I didn't know what to take. I didn't have the specialist tools. Uh, there were a few specialist ones for doing radio and tellies. Uh, I had a sort of a big screwdriver in there and, and a, a couple of spanners. I mean, you don't need spanners to mend tellies. I don't know why. Oh, dear. The service manager said, right, this is Jeff. He said, you'll be with him. And uh, you know, he said hello, and he was he was looking at a telly on the bench. A few of the, the lads gathered round. Oh, who are you? You know, all this business. I said, I'm Ray. And one of them was looking in my toolbox. What do you want spanners for? I thought, oh dear, how embarrassing, <laughs> spanners. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. Anyway, I got on really well with this Jeff, and he showed me around the telly that he was mending. And I started learning. From that day, I started learning. The service manager at the end of the day he said to me, uh, he came along to me and he said, well, what do you think of your first day at work? And I said, oh, great. Yeah, I was enthusiastic. I love it. And he laughed. He said, you won't be saying that in a few years' time. And do you know, I was there, what, four or five years, I think. I went, moved on then. And uh, he said to me years later, he said, do you remember you said that you loved your first day? And I said, oh, that's right, yes. He said, OK, I'll ask you again all these years later. How are you enjoying your work now? And I said, I love it. I did. I was honest. I loved it. Do you know, most people look forward to the weekend. Well, I say weekend. It was only Sunday. Do you know, we worked six days a week, half eight till six, six days a week. We eventually got a half day on Wednesday because that was half day closing of shops uh, in the town, well, all over the country. But how about that? Half eight till six, six days a week. We only had Sunday. But on Sundays, what was I looking forward to? I was looking forward to Monday morning back in the workshop. I loved it that much. I know it sounds daft, but uh, that's the way it was. I bumped into a friend of mine who'd been at school with me and he said, oh, you know, what sort of job are you doing? And I told him, radio and TV, apprentice engineer. And he said, oh, that's nice in the warm and dry in a workshop. I said, oh, yeah, what do you do? He was on a building site and I don't know what he was doing, but uh, he was on a building site. And he said, oh, I should have done something like that. He said, I'm out in all weathers, rain, winter, snow, ice. He said, we're out in all weathers. And he said, all for 10 quid a week. And I thought, what? 10 pounds a week? He said, I don't know why I bother for a mere pittance like that. And he said, what do you want? Oh, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know where to look. I had to tell him the truth. I said, two pound, 10 shillings a week. That's equivalent to two pound 50. And he said, what, a week? I said, yes, £2, 10 shillings a week. <laughs> he laughed. He said, no, you're joking. I said, I'm not. I said, you earn in a week what I earn in a month. He said, I don't mind my building site job after all. He said, how could you survive on £2, 10 shillings a week? The thing is, I was an apprentice. I had day release, so I spent one day, one full day at college, the local technical college it was. We called it tech. And one evening a week, so I was, I think it was Tuesday all day at college, uh, nine till five, whatever it was, and then Thursday evening, seven till nine. And it was a five-year city and guilds course. So I, th I think that's why the wage was low. But I did find out that a lot of people were earning a lot more than me. There was one chap, he worked at, a, I can't remember the name of a shop, big shop in town, and he was on, uh, what was it, £15 a week, he told me. I thought, good grief, 
£15 a week. But I wasn't doing it for the money. Uh, at that age, more fool me, I was doing it because I loved it. I loved radio and telly repairs, tape recorders, record players, amplifiers. You know, I was into all this stuff that I'd loved since I was about eight years old. I remember during my school years, adults saying to me, these are the best days of your life. School days, oh, best days of your life. I thought they were dreadful days. I hated the whole thing. And I'd got it in my mind that going to work, if these were the best days of my life at school, what sort of, <laughs> what sort of dreadful time was I going to have at work? Almost every adult I bumped into, oh, best days of your life at school, make the most of it, oh, once you're out to work. And they were completely wrong. Well, in my case, anyway, going to work, they were the best days of my life. Of course, this was in the 1960s. Everything was happening. I was just in on the scene, you know, only 15, but I was just in time not to miss out. The lads in the workshop had the pirate radio stations playing, you know, transistor radios, pirate stations on the air. Excellent. The clothes, the whole thing. I just got in on time. And I just loved every minute of it. And it was only after I'd been there, what, a couple of weeks? Everyone got to know me. I got to know them. And it was, right, this Friday, we'll all meet so-and-so. We'll pick you up because, you know, I didn't have a car at 15. We'll pick you up. What's your address? They took me downtown <laughs> into a club. I'm 15 years old. I'm in this nightclub. I mean, the club people didn't seem to care. They just wanted my money. <laughs> Great. And again, I couldn't believe it. Every weekend, we're down down the town we're in a pub or going to a club absolutely fantastic and one of the chaps uh, in the workshop he said to me this place is a holiday camp this firm it's a holiday camp and I had to agree with him I said yeah I love it <laughs> it's it's like being on holiday I loved it the the nightlife at the weekends with the lads in the workshop you know, off down the town working during the days listening to the pirate ships on the radio there were people there building pirate radio transmitters can you believe it? Transmitting, you know, they're illegally transmitting on um, AM, as they call it in America, medium wave. I mean, I really was in my element. That's enough about me for a minute. Let's go over to Danny. Danny left school at 16, which, as I said, was the minimum age then. You couldn't leave before, unless you were really lucky like me. And uh, he wanted to be a car mechanic. He loved cars. He used to help his dad repair his car. I've got all this from his email. Thanks, Danny, for emailing. Great. And he wanted to be a motor mechanic. Obviously, that was his sort of hobby. You know, he loved the whole thing about cars. He didn't go to the Labour Exchange. He went to some local garage, he says, near him, and just said to the bloke there, uh, I've left school. I'm 16. I've left school. Do you need an apprentice? And apparently the chap said, yeah, start Monday. So there you go, Danny. Well done to you. And he was there, what's, uh, where are we? 40 years. He stayed there 40 years. Obviously became the, you know, the top man there, the head man. And uh, loved, again, loved every minute of it. So it's not always necessary to go to university, is it? You know, the apprenticeships, I think they're bringing apprenticeships back, aren't they? I mean, the money was dreadful. I don't know, Danny doesn't say what he earned at the garage initially. The money was dreadful. But people didn't, I don't know, a lot of people didn't go to work for the money at a young age. They went there because they were free of school, they met people, and they were earning a little bit of money as well. Youngsters these days don't seem to leave full-time education 
until they're 20 something. I mean, I can imagine I'm leaving at 14, other kids are 16. These days they're still at school or still learning into their 20s. I've known a lot of people at university. First of all, it's, what is it, sixth form or whatever they do. Then it's university. They don't seem to be, I don't know, they just stay at home with their parents and do all this education stuff all the time. I remember, oh, what, 30, 20, 30 years ago, people, a lot of people complaining. They'd done their university degree. They'd got this or that degree, you know, and they ended up filling shelves in a supermarket. I remember one chap, he was a porter, just a porter on the station carrying suitcases about. And he had a university degree in something or other. And he was saying, what a waste. You know, he should have just gone and got a job in the first place. I, I don't know whether it's changed now. That's going back a few years. But I do hear people on the radio, you know, various talk programmes saying that university doesn't suit a lot of people. It wouldn't have suited me. I wasn't particularly academic. I don't think... I think what would have suited me is the mucking about. Meeting girls, mucking about, drinking on the campus, you know, meeting and having parties or whatever they do. I don't know, I've never been, but I've heard that it can be pretty good fun. But I wouldn't have learned anything. I just failed everything and come out of it, what, two, three years later, thinking, well, that was a laugh. What should I do now? Okay, now on to Fiona. (laughs) She's put here from somewhere in the UK. Okay, Fiona went into nursing in the 60s. She says you could start at the age of 17. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah, went to nursing school. She went to nursing school, which was in the grounds of the hospital. I don't know which hospital. She says you were treated like children, really, because in those days, at 17, you were still a child because the age you know, adults were 21, weren't they? It's 18 now, isn't it? And she says, uh, for many years, night duty was a 10-hour shift she says that they had matrons, a, a proper matron. Do you remember Hattie Jakes in the Carry On films? That's, that's frightening, isn't it? Nurses, she says, lived in the nurses' home. Oh, which was compulsory, she say, until the early 70s, late 60s. I didn't know that. I used to go to the odd party in nurses' homes, which were not in the rooms themselves. Well, sometimes. <laughs> what am I saying? So the accommodation was compulsory. What's this? Are you sure, Fiona? Right, being married was strictly forbidden, so you couldn't be married. And she says here that a friend of hers uh, wanted to get married and had to leave nursing. She was, what, uh, 19, 19 years old. Oh, right, so that's it. I didn't know that, so you're not allowed to be married. Oh, that's, she says that's the idea of nurses living in the nurse's home. Um, it reduced, <laughs> she's saying reduce the nurses, you know, chances of being married. I suppose what she means is um, reduce the chances of meeting a, a boy, you know, or something. I don't know. So that that's interesting, that, actually. Yeah, she's saying here that uh, because of the rules of living in, you know, you did still feel like you were a child at home. Yeah, she says it was the matron's um, responsibility to look after minors, so she was classed as a minor when she went into nursing at 17. I didn't know that. If you wanted to go out at night or even go home on your days off, you had to apply for a pass. Goodness me. What sort of, I don't know, that, didn't this put people off, Fiona? People must have thought, I'm not doing that. 
That is interesting. Oh, I'm quite surprised, actually, especially at the not allowed to be married bit. Uh, what she put here? Oh, okay, no sloppiness. Not allowed to be sloppy. Well, you've got Hattie Jakes after you then, you see. Starched uniforms, collars, aprons, hats. Uh, oh, black. Lyle, what are Lyle stockings? And suspender belts. Mandatory. No pantyhose back then, she's put. You had to wear stockings and suspender belt. That was mandatory. How things have changed. This is really interesting, Fiona. Thanks for contacting me. Uh, oh, people leaving, she says, were very high. People didn't last five minutes. I'm not surprised. Yeah, graduation, she said, uh, frequently less than 50%. People just cleared off, basically. That's what she's saying here. Oh, it all changed in the late 60s when nurses... Oh, nurses were permitted to be married and live outside. So that's, yeah, it's a bit different. Uh, how are things today? She said here that um, changed from 68 onwards... Oh, in 84 uh, to 86. Oh, university training. Yeah, I see what you mean, Fiona. Sorry, that's my fault, not reading it properly. University training came in between 84 and 86. So, but she goes on here to say that you were on the wards virtually from day one. Now, do you know, when I had my operation, I was 14. I was waiting out on a trolley outside the operating theatre. And there was a, what I called a student nurse holding my hand. I heard someone tell her to keep talking to me to keep me awake. I didn't want me to go to sleep for some reason, probably because I'd never wake up again. And she was telling me about her boyfriend. She was 17, uh, she told me. So she was yeah, 17 years old. That's young, isn't it, for that sort of job? What else does Fiona say here? Yeah, there were state-registered nurses and state-enrolled nurses. Yeah, OK. Well, that's really interesting, Fiona. Thanks for that. How They can't get married. They mustn't be married. <laughs> and they had to live in the nursing home to reduce the risk of getting married. <laughs> How funny is that? And <laughs> compulsory to wear stockings and suspender belt. I love it. Thanks, Fiona. That's made my day. It really has. Thank you. Back in the 1960s, I didn't know anyone that was out of work. Every friend I knew, every friend's family that I knew of, no one was out of work. You know, look at how things have been since then. Well, the 70s, of course, the the miners' strike and everything. I don't know, in the 60s, I remember someone saying to me, if you want to open a shop, do it now. This was in the 60s. Not that I did want to open a shop, but looking back, he was right. He not only opened a shop, but he bought it. He didn't pay rent. He bought the shop. It nearly crippled him. He, you know, he had to mortgage his house and do all sorts of things. But, of course, then he owned that shop. And in years to come, he wasn't paying rent. You know, he'd done well in the shop. It was his shop. No rent to pay. Because he said to me, that's what will kill the business. You just pay rent all the time. And at the end of the day, when you leave, you've got nothing. Apart from your business, of course. You've got nothing. The shop, the property, is, it's not yours. So anyway, I didn't buy any shops. But it is interesting to think, though, that there was no one that I knew that was out of work uh, there was the, um, what was it called? Not the Dole, was it? National Assistance, wasn't it? I can't remember what it was called because I'd had no experience of it. I remember a chap in the workshop, he said, oh, I'm fed up with this, I'm going to go and do something else. And before he gave his notice in, he went and found another job. He had a choice of jobs. Because I remember he said to me, I might go and work for an estate agency, so I wouldn't mind 
showing people around houses and things like that, doing valuations and things. I think that's what he went off to do in the end. He just basically walked into an estate agent and said, you know, I want to, <laughs> I want to be an estate agent. And that was it, off he went. These days, trying to find a job, well, I don't know because I'm retired, but apparently it's not easy at all. Back in those days, you got your wage packet every week. Well, we did every week, little brown envelope. A lot of you older people will remember that. You would save up for things. You know, if you wanted to buy something, you'd save up. You didn't have a credit card. <laughs> you couldn't just go into a shop with a bit of plastic and say, I want that, that and that and that, and I haven't got any money, and just put it on a card. You, know, you, you had to have the money. There was the never, never, you know, HP, high purchase, things like that. The same if you wanted money to buy a car, you couldn't just do it on a card. You had to go into your bank, make an appointment, see the bank manager, and he'd ask you questions. What are you earning? He'd look at your bank account and see how you're doing, whether you'd been putting money in regularly. He'd ask you what car it was, how much it was, and ask you all about it. And then he'd make his decision. He might say, right, OK, we'll lend you the £200. You've got to pay it back at so much a week or whatever you do, or whatever the arrangement was. So you couldn't just go around with a bit of plastic in your pocket, buying whatever you, whatever you fancied and worry about paying for it later or not paying for it later, as a lot of people seem to do. Now, email from Mike here. Mike says that uh, his school, I've said this before, Mike, I think, his school basically just sort of produced factory workers. You'd have the wood workshop, the metal workshop, and they were just producing factory workers. I've said that before. That's what my school did, Mike. You know, we were trained on, well, I wasn't, I couldn't be bothered with it. They trained the kids on lathes and, you know, woodworking, metalworking, with a view to when they left school, they'd go into a factory. They'd go into a machine shop, something like that. Because I failed the 11 plus... I didn't go to a grammar school. I remember being on the railway station once, going to work when I was 15, catching the train to work. And there were kids on the platform, older than me, all done up in their green blazers and their trousers, their uniform. And they were the sixth form kids from the college down the road, the sixth form college. And I remember looking at them and thinking, they're still going to school and they're at least two years older than me. I couldn't, I couldn't quite believe it. I remember thinking how lucky I was. I wonder what would have happened had I gone on to sixth form. I couldn't have done it. I'd, in maths, oh, I'd have probably sat at the back looking out of the window at the girls or something. I couldn't have done it. Because I failed the 11 plus, I went to what they used to call a secondary modern school, a secondary modern school for boys. And down the road was the secondary modern school for girls. In other words, failures. <laughs> well, no, not, not we weren't all failures. Well, I was. But, uh, oh, the girls' school, that was, yeah, that reminds me. Do you know, they did domestic science. And domestic science is basically uh, housekeeping, cooking, sewing, knitting. You learn how to knit and sew and darn socks. Does anyone have their socks darned these days? <laughs> you just chuck them away and buy a new pair. Mind you, you see, all the clothing that's piling up everywhere... What is it they've been saying on the news recently, the last year or two? People buy clothes, don't even wear them, and chuck them away. They just say that people, the amount of clothing that they chuck away, it's, it's, it's awful really, isn't it, when you think about it? Things are so cheap. What was it my wife got me recently? T-shirts. I think they were £3 each, or were they two? 
two or three pounds each. And all right, they don't last very long, but uh, you just buy a load of those as they wear out, chuck them away. It's terrible, really, isn't it? The wastage and the food I've been reading about that people throw away. We've just had delivered. This is interesting. Well, I think it's interesting. <laughs> we had delivered an odd box. How about that? An odd box. What it is, it's food that local supermarkets don't want. Like, uh, I don't know, the, the cucumbers are the wrong shape. You know, they're all bent round. The potatoes have got funny shapes or growths coming out of them. Uh, the carrots look like there's a pair of legs on a body. And apparently people don't like it. Or they might have, uh, I looked at one of the apples. There's like a, I don't know, it's a dreadful word, like a scab thing on the apple. There's nothing wrong with the apple at all. Nothing wrong with it. But people don't want them. It's ridiculous, isn't it? So what we do, we buy, it's an odd box, it's called. You put in your order and they deliver it. And the funny thing is, they deliver it at night, in the middle of the night. It's funny, isn't it? And we came down this morning, we opened the, the front door, and in the porch, there's our odd box of vegetables. Oh, kiwi fruit. We had in there carrots, cabbage, uh, grapefruit, apples. I think there were some oranges, uh, swede. And it says where they've come from, which country they've come from, where they were grown, and things like that. And it's really interesting. So we're going to do that. We're going to get a box of that, I think, every fortnight. But it's saving the wastage because apparently the amount of food that is just chucked away, because uh, that's another thing, sell-by dates. I think that's one of the most dreadful things ever bought in. I know someone, mentioning no names, my son-in-law, <laughs> if it's on the sell-by date, that's it, don't want it, in the bin. So what he does, what uh, my daughter does, she unpacks stuff <laughs> when she gets the shopping. She'll unpack it and take dates off. And the thing is, like in the old days, like my old granny and my mum, you've got a block of cheese. Don't worry about dates. There weren't dates on it. If there's green mould growing on the outside, you cut it off. And the cheese is fine. You know, Have a sniff at something. This cabbage, it is cabbage, all right? Hang on. Phew, no, that's gone. <laughs> Chuck that away. Or give it to the animals. You have rabbits or something like that. They don't care if it's slightly off. They don't care. Anything like biscuits that have gone off. Well, you could buy broken biscuits, couldn't you? You keep broken biscuits. If they go off a bit, you didn't put them in the bin. You put them out in the garden for the birds. Stale bread. If you've got a loaf of bread that went stale, you make a, what is it, a bread pudding. I don't like bread pudding, do you? I think it's in the name. Bread and pudding doesn't sort of go together. I don't know. But the amount of stuff thrown away now, nothing was thrown away in the old days. You know, the 50s. After the war, you didn't chuck food away just because there's a, a bit of green mould on it. I remember jam. You, you take the lid off the jam and it's got penicillin growing on top. That's all right, get your teaspoon, scrape that off <laughs> and the jam underneath is fine. Imagine kids today. Hang on, kids, I've just got to scrape the mould off top and I'll make your jam sandwich. Bread's a bit stale, but I'll warm it up. <laughs> That'll soften it a bit for you. They'd have a fit, wouldn't they? talking of food hygiene is the other thing isn't it I mean food you just chuck it in the lard in the very old days you didn't have a fridge you just chuck it on this cold shelf and <laughs> there'd be flies and things around but people didn't care I think these days everything is so highly sanitized you know if you've put the dustbin out you wash your hands then you use some sanitizer different with covid I know that's a, a different thing 
But ordinarily, I must admit, I put the dustbin out. I wash my hands. Uh, I'm one of these, I'm not OCD, but with washing my hands, I always have been. Whatever I do, I wash my hands. And it's a bit much, really, because it's not necessary, I don't think. Kids grow up in such a sterile sort of environment that uh, the slightest germ they do get, (laughs) it makes them really ill. It's not funny, but it is actually. You know, in my day, kids, we'd go out and get dirty. We'd go over the woods and we'd have muddy knees. And we, you know, I used to muck about with old radios. I mucked about with an old engine once, getting absolutely filthy. And then your mum would say, oh, wash your hands before you have your tea. Yeah, all right, then go in the bathroom, run the tap for two minutes. Yeah, I've done that. And you hadn't washed your hands at all. You'd been around people's houses, around friends' houses, mucking about with things. Hands were filthy. <laughs> but uh, I think it did us good. Your immune system would build up and be resistant to all sorts of things. Whereas now, slightest, oh, quick, spray this, spray that. You've touched that, spray it quickly. <laughs> Everything is just so sterile. I remember my son saying to me, our toilet seat, he said, it is so clean you could eat your dinner off it. Yeah, uh, it probably is that clean, but I think I'll give that one a miss. When I first started work at 15, I noticed that the workshop used to empty at about 10 o'clock in the morning when the service manager had gone out. They all went round the caf, this cafe round the corner. They all went round there for breakfast. And one morning, I'd been there a week or two, one of the lads said, come on, we're going to breakfast. So I followed them round there. And we're all in this cafe having breakfast. They're ordering egg and bacon and stuff, fried bread, cup of tea. And I thought this, I mean, couldn't do that at school. We couldn't clear off from school, go around the local calf. It was, as I said earlier, it's a holiday camp. I loved every minute of it. But uh, the reason I'm mentioning this is because the cafe, <laughs> it was filthy. I remember the counter, it was all dirty because it, it was a kind of working men's type cafe. You know, builders would go in there, car mechanics, radio and TV engineers like us lot. We'd all, we'd all filthy hands, we'd all go in there. But uh, none of us ever got ill. That cafe really, it really was dirty. I'm not going to mention, well, it doesn't matter now. It's, goodness me, how long, how, 50, 60 years? No, 50 years ago. No, more than that. So it doesn't matter now. But uh, I remember the cups. You know, you'd have your cup of tea and you look at the cup and you think, has that been washed up or just rinsed under a cold tap? Or not even that, just wiped with a dirty tea towel. Brilliant. And the knives and the forks, <laughs> they were filthy. They didn't have dishwashers. They just rinsed them in this, bowl of uh, washing up water you know that had probably been there for hours when they'd opened at seven it's the same washing up water cold and filthy but none of us got ill that's the point I'm trying to make none of us got ill these days I read everything in the calf again you know before covid everything in the calf is so spotless everything's sprayed and everything's disinfected and the cups and things are washed up in a you know dishwasher at sort of three million degrees to kill everything. I don't know. Do you know the weather at the moment is brilliant? Where are we? What's the time? It's half past one. Brilliant sunshine today. Out the back under our patio roof, it's 17 degrees, which is really nice. My wife, oh, we were talking about summer yesterday, and she cut my hair. It was getting so long. I said, look, someone's going to have to cut it. She said, well, no one can come to the house. You know, we're not allowed to have people around. My hairdresser bloke, he's closed. So I said, well, go on, you have a go. And she did. And it's not bad. It's not bad, actually. I said to her, you're a trainee hairdresser. 
it's still very long. I said, you know, just trim a little bit, then we'll see how it goes. Then a few days' time, we'll trim a little bit more. But she did really well. I, I mean, I got to the stage where I couldn't see where I was going. I've already hacked the front off. And I thought, well, it's either my wife has a go or I wear a bandana. You know a bandana? I could be a rock guitarist, couldn't I? Well, I couldn't, <laughs> but I'd look like one. I was about to say I'm too old to look like a rock guitarist, but no, that's nonsense. Keith Richards and Mick Jagger are older than me. How about that? They're older than me. I'm coming up to 70. I think Keith is 77, isn't he? Mick's about 76. And Charlie Watts, I don't know how old he is. They're, I mean, they're, they're not old men. They're rockers, aren't they? Keith's a rock guitarist. They're still touring and stuff. So, yeah, I wouldn't look out of place with a bandana. People would just think, oh, look, there's another old rocker <laughs> or another old nutter. Now, who was it that sent me a message? I'm just looking through my emails here. Aaron from Melbourne, Australia. Hello, Aaron. Nice to hear from you. He listens to me when he's, <laughs> when he's driving to work in his car in the mornings. Oh, that's really good to hear from you, Aaron. The reason I've, I've, I know you uh, mentioned a story. I'm going to have a, a look at that and perhaps do the, some of that next week. But the reason I mentioned you is I was just talking about the weather, saying it's 17 here. It's probably 47, we're 117 centigrade where you are, because it's your midsummer, isn't it? And we're midwinter. Well, we're coming out of winter now, I think. Aaron's hobby is restoring vintage valve radios or tube radios, if you're in America, called tubes. So that's a good hobby. It's good to have a hobby, especially in lockdown. Well, Aaron goes to work, but especially in lockdown, you know, where you're perhaps working from home or stuck at home. It's good to have a hobby, isn't it? Something to do, even if it's only, I don't know, feeding the birds in the garden or, you know, feeding the wildlife and perhaps photographing the wildlife, anything. Just something rather than just sitting there and getting bored. Uh, My hobby, of course, as you know, is amateur radio. I chat to people around the world. Uh, and locally, of course, on the radio, which is good fun. Keeps me from boredom. I say keeps me from boredom. I don't think I get bored anyway. I've got so much to do, just waiting for the weather to warm up. I can get out in the garden and do a lot of jobs out there. I've got lots of jobs to do around the house. I haven't cleaned the car for, I don't know, about a year or more, two years. I haven't cleaned it. Isn't it awful? It's absolutely filthy. (laughs) We just wipe the important bits you know, lights, number plates, windscreen, back window, and that's it. The rest of it's filthy. But, I mean, the weather's been awful, absolutely awful. And you know, wherever you drive, you just get so much muck on the car. I wouldn't ever get bored. There's always so much to do. bit different if you're in a flat. You've got no garden, perhaps not even a balcony, just a window to look out of. Did I tell you we had a power cut this morning? Only for a few minutes. Everything went off. Of course, now everything's wrong. The Alexa things don't work properly. The clocks are all wrong and the time on the microwave oven's wrong. We've still got no internet or telephone or television. And, I mean, I'm not too bothered. I can get on with my podcast episode. But children in our area, they're learning... They're not going to school. They're learning uh, home learning, you know. They're on iPads and, uh, you know, laptops and whatever they are, MacBook things. Of course, none of them around here have got internet. We've spoken to the neighbours. No one's got internet or telephone. You're stuck at home. (laughs) All you've got is your telly, perhaps, and your iPad. And neither of them, and your phone. And that doesn't work. 
So you're really, really isolated. I mean, that must be dreadful. But the sun's still shining. And I, let me just check the photos. Let's have a look, see if anything's happening there. There we are. We've got the phone back. So that's something. We've still got no television or internet. At least the phone works. But it just goes to show that it went off about three hours ago. It just goes to show how much we rely, not necessarily on the phone, because I've got my mobile phone, but the internet. You know, I'm not getting emails. Actually, it's a nice thing. The phone hasn't rung. I'm not getting any emails. <laughs> it's rather nice. Have a break from it for a minute. But no, seriously, it does show how much we rely on it. People have actually been outside their front doors in the street, uh, you know, shouting across, have you got internet? No. Oh, no, our house has gone as well. Oh, it's dreadful. We don't know what to do. It just shows how much we rely on the internet. In fact, I think I've said before, we've got gas, water and electricity. And I think internet broadband should be the fourth, uh, whatever, utility. That's what it is, isn't it? Utility. We should have four utilities, water, gas, electricity and broadband, because it's so important these days. Well, I don't know how long Aaron's trip is to work in Melbourne, down in Australia. But it's probably there by now. <laughs> OK, let's go to another email. I've been rambling on about other things. Let's go to Joan in Accrington. Ah, oh, Accrington. There's a company there. Used to make vacuum cleaner brushes. Accrington Brush Company. I bet you know of that, Joan. Anyway, Joan's saying when she left school. Ah, oh, this is, ah, oh, yeah, we're going back to this theme, um, domestic science. Joan is saying here, let me just have a quick read. Yeah, she left school at 16, basically went into waitressing. She had no qualification. I mean, we didn't. We didn't back then. You sort of fail the 11 plus, go, <laughs> you go to a secondary modern school, which Joan did, and you leave at 16, then you go and get some sort of job. She went into waitressing and she loved it. She says she loved that because she's a very sociable sort of person. Was it Lyons? I remember Joe Lyons' corner house. I wonder whether, because you've mentioned uh, Lyons here, I think that must be Joe Lyons. Anyway, Joan, you went there and you worked your way up the ladder, as you've put it. You became head waitress and then, uh, oh, then in charge. Oh, I see. That, yes, so you can. You see, what basically what Joan is saying is you don't have to have a load of qualifications. And she now whizzed forward a few, few decades. Joan, I'm not making you too old, am I? Well, no, we know. We know you left school in the 60s, so we know roughly how old you are. Joan now has her own cafe, two cafes, which, of course, due to lockdown, are now closed, which is, yeah, it's most unfortunate, isn't it? All this lockdown and COVID and everything. But she's saying, that she, uh, what's she say? Still making sandwiches, still just about surviving on takeaways. Oh, OK, so that's good. But as she says that she left school at 16, no qualifications, end up waitressing, and then end up with her own, well, two cafes, which is good. She says in the meantime, she you know, did the usual, the family business, having the kids, you know, getting married, having the kids and all that. But now her waitressing and the training, oh, she did a lot of training apparently in the when she got the job, uh, which has set her up for now. And what people, she says, what people like about her cafe or cafes is she's done it all 60s style. Ah, Right. I remember going to Joe Lyons Caf when I was a kid and it was brilliant. The waitresses had um, little aprons and little hat things and it was really good. 
I remember there were big palm tree type things everywhere. That's what they did back then, although that was more the 30s, wasn't it? But I do remember in the 60s and 50s, 50s especially when I was a kid, they had all these sort of palm tree things around the cafe. Joe Lyons Corner House, wasn't it? Who remembers that? Come on, let's have some emails. Who remembers Joe Lyons Corner House? Happy days. Oh, I've just read the last part of Joan's email. Yeah, this is interesting. She says um, when she was at school, secondary modern school, uh, another 11 plus failure, Joan. (laughs) She says that they were basically trained to be housewives. That's it. They weren't trained for working. They didn't do typing, she says, at her school, anything like that, which might have set you up perhaps for secretarial work. If you wanted to do typing, you went to evening classes. That was after school. You know, when you'd left school, you then go to evening classes and learn typing or languages or whatever. But she says basically they were taught cooking and housekeeping. That's what I was saying earlier. And they were taught to become housewives. Uh, is it awful? It's terrible when you think back that, you know, the, the boys were trained to be factory workers and the girls were trained to be housewives. How different it is again these days, you know, there's none of this uh, learning how to darn socks so that when you get married, as soon as you leave school, (laughs) you know, you can look after your husband. (laughs) I do recall a lot of books around in the 50s and early 60s written for women, how to look after your husband and the home and the children and reading daft things like, I mean, people would have an absolute fit these days. When your husband gets in from work, bear in mind he might have had a hard day. He might not want to talk about it. He might just want to sit down, pour him a drink, perhaps a whiskey, keep the children out of his way. He doesn't want them running around him. He wants to come in and relax, have the dinner ready on time. You know, if you have your dinner at six or half six, don't keep him waiting. You've probably read similar books, all these things. Oh, and look nice for him. He wants to get in from work. He wants to see you looking nice. Do your makeup, put on a nice dress. I mean, <laughs> I've jokingly said to my wife all this um, because we've looked up stuff on the internet. This was some months ago about how to look after your husband. <laughs> well, I won't tell you what she said, but uh, there's no way she would do anything like that. But back in the 50s, though, that's what it was all about. It was, you know, girls became house mothers and housewives and the, the man, he, the boy, became the breadwinner. He went out to work. He was the breadwinner. And that's the way it was. There's an advert at um, our local museum that I like to go to. It's Amberley Working Museum, just outside Arundel. And they've got all the appliances going back well, to the 40s and further back. And in the 60s, uh, was it 50s, there's a notice saying, um, don't let housework, yeah, don't let housework kill your wife. Let electricity do it. <laughs> There's a very badly worded advert. What they're trying to say is switch to electricity. You know, don't have the old floor sweeper. Get an electric vacuum cleaner. Don't have her doing hand washing. Buy her a washing machine. Don't let housework kill her. Let electricity kill her. But that's not what they meant. But that's funny. That's a funny... Uh, it's a placard, a sort of notice they've got there. Strange, actually, looking around the museum, all the old stuff. Vacuum cleaners, I remember my mum having in the 50s, you know, what the washing machine, the cooker, it's all there, everything from the 50s, the 40s and going back further. Quite interesting. But that's, they've got 
like models, are they mannequins? What are these things they dress up? They've got a like a woman in a headscarf and a. Do you remember house coats? They were called house coats, weren't they? They were. It's like a I don't know, like a jacket, a long coat thing, very thin, perhaps made out of nylon in the old days. Brentford nylons, the advert. Brentford nylons. I forget how the music went. Just as well, you don't want me singing at you. But they used to make drip dry shirts, and well, they make you smell those shirts. But they've got these women dressed up as 1950s housewives at the museum. And honestly, the headscarf and the, this apron thing, the house coat, and there she is holding a vacuum cleaner and cleaning away. That's what women were for, but isn't it awful? And this is only, what, uh, seven, no, 50, 60, 70 years ago that it was all like that. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what people think these days. You know, if they had to do all that sort of thing. It was very, very different times. And this is in my lifetime. Yeah, that's the way to look at it. This is in my lifetime. I remember all that. I remember the days before television. Now I really am showing. You'll be thinking, how old is he? 80? 90? No, 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 no. I'm still only 69. <laughs> Not for much longer, but I'm in my 60s. I was just thinking back to the women's magazines back then. Um, knitting magazines, you know, you could buy patterns for making clothes. Um, I know I keep saying it, but the more I think about it, the more I realise just how very different it was then. I remember my mother doing the decorating. My dad would be at work and she's painting. I remember her painting, a, you know, the skirting board, the doors, uh, doing all sorts of jobs around the house like that because he worked full time. Gardening, I remember seeing women out in the front garden, you know, they're digging, they're weeding. Maybe that went on from the the war years, you know, where there were land girls. They would work on the farms, they'd grow food. I don't know, perhaps it was a bit of a, a kind of carry on from that, I'm, I'm not sure. But of course, I suppose if the, the so-called housewives, if they didn't have to go to work because uh, the husband was the breadwinner, then they had all day every day, they, they made the beds and did the... I, I remember all this, my mum making the beds every morning vacuuming she had a routine vacuuming and it was non-stop you know it was just it was hard work for women in those days it was hard physical work you know the washing and the rest of it you didn't chuck it into the machine and press a button it was hard work all the food preparation you didn't go to a supermarket and buy cheese that's already been grated you had to grate the cheese yourself you know and carrots that have already been washed and peeled and diced and things I mean, it's all done for you know, it's just incredible the, the difference then and now this is what I love about these podcast episodes looking back to then and now school school was so very different anyway we don't want to get into that what we're trying to do is leaving school let's have a look at the next email if I can find it hang on a minute this one's from Vic he uh, I don't know how old you are Vic but this must have been in the war years you left school, oh, 14, same as me. Left school at 14. Went to a munitions factory making machine guns. Oh, that must have been, well, I, don't know, I was going to say, that must have been interesting, I suppose not. No, he goes on to say he was just, oh, on a lathe. How about that? Working on a lathe at 14 years old. He says that uh, he just turned up at the factory. He, he should have been at school, he says, but he gave, he wanted to earn a few shillings a week because his, oh, his dad was away at war. And his mum was struggling, so he left school, went to the machine gun factory, 
and started making... He said he was taught to use the lathe within about a week, he's saying, yeah, about a week, taught to use this lathe, and he was making parts for machine guns. Oh, that's incredible. At 14 years old, you don't say what you earn, though, Vic, just a few shillings a week. Oh, and your mum wondered where you got the money from. Yeah, oh, in the end, yeah, in the end, he told her. He said, uh, <laughs> Mum, I'm working at the machine gun factory. I'm not going to school. Because he says here that she used to say, how come you get so dirty at school? He changed out of his school clothes uh, when he got to the factory and put on his sort of overalls and then changed to go home again. And she used to say, how come your hands are so filthy? What do you get up to at school? He said, oh, they're working in the, the metal workshop. That's what, that was his excuse. Or lie, I should say. Oh, well done, Vic. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Uh, I wonder what you went on to do. You don't say whether you stayed in sort of metalwork and machine shop. You don't say what you did. Uh, hang on, I'm getting this wrong. This was Vic's daughter. Ah, sorry, I've got this totally wrong. Actually, it's not my fault. Um, it's not my fault, Karen. You've put here, you've put like it's from Vic. Oh, I see. Right, I see what she means. She's uh, putting it into Vic's words, I see. So, yeah, I was going to say he'd be pretty old now. If he was 14 in the 40s, uh, I don't know what he'd be. I can't do maths. Can you do maths? I saw the other day some online thing on the telly, online learning for kids and how it's all done. You know, the teacher's at home and they've each got a laptop or whatever at home. The teacher's at her home, you know, and it's quite incredible the way they do it. The teacher can speak to each child um, they can see the child if they want to. They can't all see each other. But some of the questions, because they looked in at this teacher doing this mathematics, honestly, some of the questions, I don't know what they're talking about. Weird stuff. Or, or this, if X equals this, or what was one of them? Uh, if something equals... <laughs> I don't understand the question. If something equals 10 pence and X equals 3 pence, how much is something else? Well, how do I know? Oh, no, what's, and something equals X. Well, how do I know what X is? It ought to say X is tuppence. <laughs> do you remember? That's going back. Tuppence, threepence, halfpenny, a tanner, sixpence. Going back to the really early days. Well, no, not that early. When did decimalisation come in? 71, wasn't it? 1971. How I ever added up money, and, you know, when it was pounds, shillings and pence, I don't know. I have trouble with decimals. If someone says, yeah, what's 15 pence plus... 38 pence, I have to think, I don't know, I have to get a calculator. No, it's not that bad. But I'm absolutely hopeless at mental arithmetic. Well, or sane, mental or sane. I can't do any of it. I don't understand the questions. I think I've said this before. I'm always saying that, aren't I? I think I've said this before. I remember the teacher, he's put writing a question up on the blackboard. And before he's finished writing it, some kid's got his hand up. Me, 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 me. Yes, uh, Smith. And he give the answer. I haven't even un I haven't even read or understood the question. There was a bloke in our class at school, Alan. I won't, I won't mention his surname, but Alan, and he was just absolutely brilliant at maths, fantastic. He was like Carol Vorderman, you know, did it all in his head. He was fantastic. Whatever the homework the teacher set, whatever he put up on the board, this chap knew it straight away. It, it was as if he didn't even have to work it out. It just The teacher would half write something and he'd come up and say, uh, 28.93. And the teacher would say, yep, that's right, Alan, well done. Well, he wouldn't say Alan. didn't call us by our Christian name. We were surnames in there. It was Mr. We call him Mr. or Miss. 
whoever, and we were just surnames, wouldn't uh, use Christian names. Well, no, we didn't call him Mr. or Miss. <laughs> if he was Mr. Smith, we wouldn't call him Miss Smith. That might not have pleased him. Our art teacher, he used to have a transistor radio on his desk, early 60s, listening to the pirate stations, you know, Caroline, London, and he'd be smoking. He'd have an ashtray and his cigarettes and his lighter, and he'd sit there while we're doing our artwork or scribbling or whatever we did, and he'd sit there having a fag. Can you imagine a teacher these days sitting at his desk at the front of the class, listening to pirate radio and having a cigarette? That's why I keep saying it was so very, very different back then. Have we got time for one more email? There aren't that many to go through, actually. Let's just have a look at this one here from Sarah. Um, Sarah, she says she, where are we? We left, left school at 15. Oh, 15. You don't say, oh, 50s, in the 50s. Uh, left school at 50. Oh, you were pregnant. Oh, dear. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't the dumb thing in the 50s, Sarah, was it? As she goes on to say, that was very much frowned upon. Her parents weren't at all happy. Uh, so let's, let me just read on what happened. Oh, OK. She left school. Her parents told the school that she was ill. Uh, this is quite a, a plot, actually, Sarah. I'm just reading on quickly here. Her mother, when the baby turned up, Sarah's mother pretended it was hers. Uh, Sarah went away to an aunt. This is a classic kind of story, isn't it, Sarah? You know, from the 50s and 40s, when someone got pregnant, it, there really was a, a taboo, wasn't there? It was an awful thing. It was frowned upon. And, well, in the earlier days, uh, the you know kids were taken away, weren't they? If a young woman got pregnant, they'd go to some, where was it, nunnery, not a nunnery, but, you know, where there were nuns in charge. And they'd take the kids away, the babies. So Sarah went back home when, when the baby was born. She's put here that it's quite funny. Now looking back, that's why I'm laughing. She went back home when the baby was born and all the neighbours all thought it was her mum's baby. Obviously her mum wasn't that old. Uh, whereas really it was hers. And eventually she says she got married uh, to a very nice chap, explained everything, and they... Right, so she then had the baby back from her mum. This is complicated. I, wanted to, I don't say how old the baby was then, Sarah. Must be more than a baby. So they got a, a rented place. They live there. And it was just in a new area, just outside town, where they weren't known. And, of course, people thought, oh, look, young couple moved in with a baby. And that's how it was left. You used to hear of that sort of thing happening back in the 50s. I remember hearing my overhearing adults talking, you know, when I was a kid, overhearing them talking, oh, so-and-so's pregnant, and you think, oh, who's that? <laughs> when you weren't supposed to be listening at doors and things, children were to be seen and not heard. But, you know, you'd overhear things, adults talking, people gossiping over the fence as they did then in those days, in those happy days. I remember a friend of mine, his sister got pregnant and... It shows how much of a, a, a stigma there was because I remember going round his house one evening. His sister came out with this baby and I, I sort of looked and said hello. I forget how old I was, probably 12, 13. And when, when she'd gone to wherever she was going, into another room, I said, uh, whose baby is that? And he said, it's my sister's. And I just shut up. I didn't say anything because, you know, it was the, the stigma. Like, wow, she's not married. She lives at home and she's got a baby. It was 
just shows you know, even a kid I knew that it was just real bad of course in the 60s <laughs> well not quite I was going to say in the 60s girls were having babies all over the place but they weren't they weren't having them all over the place were they well some of them were <laughs> that was the time of make love not war and all this love stuff um, I think there were a lot of babies produced <laughs> in the 60s but contraception was coming in wasn't it uh, was, I don't when did the pill come into being? I can't remember. Yeah, that really did sort of free up, how can I put it, free up girls' sex lives? I don't know. But the things certainly did change once the, the pill came. The, the birth pill, they called it, didn't they? Did they call it the birth pill? No, it was, I don't know what they called it anyway. Lars, just sent an email from you. Lars, I'm not sure where you're from. It went into the spam folder. Sorry about that. I haven't answered it. I went to answer, and because it was in the spam folder, it disappeared. And it wasn't in the the bin, the trash bin. I can't find it. But I did quickly read it. It was only a sentence or two. Lars said that the ghost episode was boring. (laughs) Sorry, Lars, about that. Um, Can't please all the people all the time, comes to mind. He said it was boring because there were no actual ghost stories. Well, it wasn't meant to be a ghost story episode. It was meant to be about people's experiences, psychic experiences. Have you seen a ghost? Uh, That's what it was called, wasn't it? And I didn't have that many replies, to be honest. I thought I'd get a lot more response. So there weren't actual ghost stories as such, but it was more just talking about people's experiences. If you want the ghost stories, uh, Lars, go to my Facebook page. Uh, What is it? I think it's Ray's Ghost Stories. Just type in Ray's Ghost Stories in the search box on Facebook and you should find that. I said earlier it was 17 degrees uh, under the patio roof. It actually got to 19 in the end, so that's not too bad. 19 degrees. Right, well, we're coming up to the hour. So I think I'll end it here. What is it? 58, 59 minutes, something like that. Um, If you've got any comments, uh, Lars, I don't know why yours went into the spam folder, but try again if you want to email me. Uh, raise rants at protonmail.com raise rants or one word at protonmail.com oh bob just uh squeeze you in at the end i just had an email from bob in california i believe and uh, you say you like the midweek idea bob yes a lot of people have said that uh, quite a few emails saying they do like the midweek message idea because it tells them what's coming up and uh reminds people to email me with their ideas so that's good. Bob talks a bit about leaving school and what it was like in his day. I'll probably mention that another time, Bob, because we're, we're up to the hour now and people will all be asleep, <laughs> all be snoring. They'll wake up in a minute. Well, what's happened? Oh, has the podcast ended? Oh, thank goodness for that. Oh, just before I go, heard the weather forecast earlier. We've got storm, what is it? Storm something coming in to the UK. Uh, heavy snow and gale force winds so that should cause blizzards which will be a lot of fun i don't think so i'm not really looking forward to that we're getting ever closer evenings are getting lighter mornings are getting lighter nice sunshine yesterday so we're getting there thanks for listening as always i shall see you next sunday take care bye bye for now